0: I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. If you heard our last episode, you'll know we're doing something a little bit different today and for the next two episodes. A few months ago, Al Jazeera launched a new podcast, and we're sharing the first series with you. It's called Diplomats for Sale. It's an investigation in four parts from Al Jazeera's investigative unit. They went undercover to figure out how ambassadorships and the highly coveted diplomatic passports that go with them are bought and sold. It's a wild story, best told by Al Jazeera's Kevin Hurton and Deb Davies. So here they are, and here it is, Al Jazeera Investigates.
1: I'm Deborah Davis. I'm a reporter with Al Jazeera's investigations team based in London. And I'm Kevin Hurton
2: a producer with Al Jazeera's investigations team based in D.C.
1: This is Al Jazeera Investigates. Welcome to our first series, Diplomats for Sale.
2: If you haven't heard part one yet, check it out. Find out how we got here. It's a pretty extraordinary story about how you can get citizenship to a country that's not your own, and passports for sale on the open market.
1: Our 18-month investigation isn't just about buying passports and citizenship. It's also about buying diplomatic status. And we're taking it up a notch in part two.
2: The story begins in Malaysia with a partnership between Ali Reza Manfred, this charming Iranian businessman, and Minaj Bular, a Malaysian businessman. And it really started as a story about two best friends. Well, we met in 2012, where Ali
3: wanted to, to move oil from Iran.
2: And I, frankly, didn't even realize how central Minaj was to this, this story. He really was Monfred's right-hand man, and the way he tells it, really, the, the brains of the operation.
1: You do draw up a mental picture of the people you're going to meet And we sort of had an image in our head of these little, clerical, very straight people unwillingly pulled into this venture. And then we agreed to meet for lunch. We got there early. We sat at the table. And in walks this really stylish, charismatic, fabulous-looking couple.
3: Two weeks ago, when Kiran convinced me, she said, well, let's get it done.
1: We met with them in Kuala Lumpur...
2: Um, I realised later that Minaj had planned on shaking our hands and politely declining to talk any further.
1: And within about 30 seconds, <laughs> this story just came pouring out.
2: And that's when I met Ali, f- you
3: know, first time, and then we went into business. Iran being in the sanction, they had problems in moving the oil.
1: The relationship between these two men unravelled into this incredible story that really spans the globe. It started with oil trading that at best you could call shady and the Iranian Ali Reza Monfred trying to escape his creditors and the law with what he thought was his international get-out-of-jail-free card. And this is not the only case of a criminal trying to use diplomacy as a shield. But Manoj knows this story from the inside, and he was willing to tell it for the first time.
2: From a young age, Dad got us interested in the sea, and they invited us to come with them to Labuan to show us where the whole thing happened.
1: Labuan is a, as a small island. It's a long way from the rest of Malaysia, not even off the main Malaysian mainland, but off the island of Borneo. So it's as close to bits of Indonesia as it is to Malaysia. It's really pretty. I mean, Manoj and I drove around it, I think, in less than an hour. It's very quiet for parts of it, but offshore, you have a refinery with all these coloured gases shooting up into the sky. And we went down to the jetty, which is this big, L-shaped, very narrow concrete strip out into the sea, and in front of you, Dozens and dozens of massive tankers, really enormous things, usually brown and black, flat-topped, with little boats bussing around, servicing them. So it was quite a busy scene, but it was also very, very beautiful.
3: What Dad would do, he would ask us to jump off this wharf here, right across here, and we had to swim all the way to the island up there.
1: This was bringing Manoj back to, to where he grew up as a lad.
3: I used to have my boat parked right here.
1: He got to know about the tides, he got to know about the weather, he got to know about the navigation routes, and then he ended up in the marine logistics business.
3: We used to supply water to all the ships that is out there. I love the sea, and that's how the business came up. It's just in the blood.
1: Ali reached out to Manoj and said, I'm looking for someone who's an expert in marine logistics. You know, is that you? Can you help me? Um, and I said, Yeah, it's me.
2: The Iranians have a problem because the United States just slapped a ton of sanctions on their oil, and they want to sell their oil. Being sanctioned
3: oil, you can't store oil onto any landed property, on land, on shore.
2: Oil is like you know a bleeding artery; it keeps coming out, right? And they keep filling it, filling up tankers and tankers and tankers and they can't stop the wells, but they have no one to sell it to.
1: And basically, Ali said, how can I sell Iranian oil? Is there a loophole in the law that would allow us to do it? And Manoj said, well, funny, you should say that because, you know, I come from Labuan and Labuan might be the place that is the loophole, that is the the quiet little port off the world's radar where these tankers can come and go.
3: Ships would come in from Iran, we had oil tankers parked right outside here, which is, we could, we could see it physically, and the mother tank would come in, discharge their oil onto our tankers, and they would go off, and we would have the oil stored all out at the bay here. We would have ships everywhere off Labuan port, two million barrel tankers.
0: And Huge. how
1: many ships were coming in on a regular Con- basis?
3: Regularly coming in every month, three, four tankers would come in, carrying two million barrels.
1: He reckoned that if you put this oil into massive storage tankers offshore where it sat for several months, it ceases to be Iranian oil and it becomes Malaysian oil.
2: The country that had the capability to refine Iranian oil is and was China. So China desperately wanted the oil. There's no problem with selling Malaysian oil to the Chinese. They did a ship-to-ship transfer right off of Labuan Harbor. I've seen it. I was there. I saw exactly where it happened. And then a Chinese ship came in. They put it in there and off they go to China. From here, it's a direct route straight to China. And then bam, suddenly the Iranians were in business.
1: And they they ran this for a good year. And I think the Americans knew that it was a loophole. They knew that Iranian oil was coming and going through Malaysia and they knew who was buying it. It was the Chinese.
2: The possibility of getting caught by the Americans was always there. They
3: were not happy, obviously. They were not happy because there was a loophole found in the sanction where things was just on the gray, not on the white or the black, but right on the middle line, gray side. And the Chinese government didn't have problems in receiving knowingly that the oil were from Iran origin.
1: His flamboyance, his apparent wealth, his mission to do this extraordinary scheme and manage to get oil out of Iran. I mean, they they loved Ali. He knew their daughters. And then I think things just got tightened up and Minaj and Ali started to think, you know what, we need to get out of this game. It's getting a bit too risky now.
2: And then after a couple of months off, this happens. One day,
3: he gives me a call and says, he said, we need to catch up, we've got some new business venture. Let's start doing something else. And I said, all right, we met up. We met up in Spain first, and then we went for a holiday. Went on to Cuba, and then to Panama. And once in Panama, my wife and his wife and children were left in Panama, and we flew to the
2: Dominica. So they go to the airport, they get on a plane, and fly to this small Caribbean island nation, Minaj had never even heard of, called Dominica.
3: Just before landing at the airport, while well, we were still in the air, that's when Ali told me the reason he has applied to get him and his whole family a citizenship for for the Commonwealth of Dominica.
2: So, Ali Razamanfred tells Minaj on the plane as they're about to land. We're not just here on vacation, we're here so I can get a passport.
3: And we landed out, Ali had a meeting the next morning at 10 o'clock.
1: Ali thinks that he needs to persuade the Dominicans that he would be a brilliant citizen by offering them all kinds of investment ideas, which he doesn't have any of.
2: And the way Minaj tells it is, Ali's having an audience with the Prime Minister and he gets a call while he's in his hotel room. Hey, you got to get down here and talk to them.
3: Ali came screaming back to my room at 10.30 in the morning, and he said, get ready.
2: And he's like, what, what are you talking about? I can't, I can't come down. I have shorts and flip-flops on. I had to borrow a shirt and a pants from
3: the front desk.
2: So he goes down into the prime minister's office. There's a picture that he, he gave us where you can see he has an ill-fitting shirt.
3: Prime minister was flying out to another country, so we, the meeting was short. It was just an hour and a half meeting where I explained to him that we can do um, the amount of investment and business that we can bring in into the country, it's just unto. You will not regret it. We will open up the door.
1: And according to manoj Roosevelt Garrett turns around then and there and says to manoj not to Ali, but to manoj you'd make a great ambassador. You could really help the interests of our country. Would you like to be an ambassador?
3: Why don't you be our ambassador at large?
1: And Manoj says, no.
3: I'm a businessman, not a politician. I'm not, not going into this thing.
1: That's not me. I'm a businessman. I'm not an ambassador. And then when they get back to the hotel, Ali says, are you crazy? Are you off your head? You're offered an ambassadorship and you turn it down. That's what I want.
3: Ali said to me, convince them that I can do the part. And I said, well, definitely. I mean, if you want to do that part, he says, yes, I want to be. And then the next meeting when we had that offer that you gave, the prime minister gave it to me to be ambassador at large. Why
2: don't we give it to Ali Reza? I'm happy as long as the business comes in. So just like that, the path is laid out for Ali Reza Manfred, an Iranian national to become Dominica's ambassador to Malaysia. I mean, a second passport is one thing, but Minaj had to wonder why did his friend Ali suddenly want to become an ambassador so badly? I didn't know back then why it was so important for him to
3: have that. It was only later on that he said to me, he said, the reason I wanted to have just a normal Commonwealth passport was that I get a different citizenship. Now imagine I've been offered a diplomatic passport, I get diplomatic immunity completely. I don't have to be worried about the Iranians. And that's when I started to suspect, why do you need to run away from the Iranians? What have you done?
2: Or what, what made you think that the Iranians are going to come after you? Unbeknownst to Minaj, while he and Ali had been running that oil swap scheme back in Malaysia, Ali had been skimming money off the top from the Iranians. For him, it was a new life, a freedom, where he would not be indicted. He would not be arrested. He would not be questioned he would get, most importantly, the diplomatic immunity. That's what this whole thing was about. Ali Reza who could clearly sense his crimes are starting to catch up with him, really does buy the ambassadorship. I mean, we have the emails. And the emails track the flow of money from Malaysia to Dominica through this company that Ali set up.
1: This thing called My Dominica Trade House.
2: And it's just for this diplomatic passport.
1: And two or three delegations of Dominican politicians come over... They get wined and dined. Menage says they're given presents, including bars of gold that are stamped My Dominica Trade House, worth about ten dollars to $15,000 each. And
2: that was a company that was going to facilitate trade between the great nation of Malaysia and the tiny nation of Dominica. Seems pretty legit. Um, but quickly you see through the emails that there's money that needs to go back to Dominica that doesn't seem to have anything to do with trade. In fact, in one case, one of the emails, they call it investments in quote. Like, you need to send more investments into this account.
3: It was gifts for the prime minister. 200000 was sent to him first, and smaller payments
2: were sent as gifts to show how genuine we are. Minaj calls them tokens of appreciation. I think most people would call them straight-up bribes.
1: If there is illegality, it would come in terms of whether money is paid and where that money goes and who it goes to. We know for sure, because we have the documents, that money came from my Dominica trade house to Dominica. Money went from Malaysia to Dominica. And some of that money paid for political activities in the run-up to a general election. Some of that money bought party T-shirts. It paid for an event with entertainers and fireworks. It paid for the printing of a party manifesto. So that's where the questions are.
2: And the calls for money are getting more desperate. There's an election coming up in Dominica. And our investigation found that some of the money is being used to help Prime Minister Roosevelt Skerritt stay in office. We were getting emails,
3: phone messages, phone calls. He kept you know, insisting, when are you putting the money in? When are we getting the money? Are you sending the money? Are you serious or are you joking with us? Are you playing around? You know, we've had emails going up and down, non-constantly, on a daily basis. Phone calls on a daily basis. When are you going to wire the money across? Um, we had a little bit of problems. First, trying to transfer the money. It, took us almost four to five days getting accounts done, getting this done. But finally, yes, we had the money transferred. This money was as a a token of appreciation for the prime minister to be given in good faith for him giving the diplomatic passport to Ali Reza.
2: Ali was sending the money in order to get the passport. But Prime Minister Roosevelt Scaret insists all the payments were entirely legal campaign contributions, they were in no way linked to the passport or granting of diplomatic status. Skerritt also says he has no recollection of the conversations Minaj says they had. But either way, Minaj is clear that from Ali's perspective, he was still paying money to get a passport.
1: Back came an email on behalf of the Prime Minister.
2: Saying
3: thank you, receive money, all good, all clear. Uh, we'll be doing the necessary and you'll hear from us very soon.
1: What? Manoj has told us, and what I've been told by journalists and political watchers and analysts and businessmen across the Caribbean is that the diplomatic passport is very much a personal decision by the Prime Minister. You don't get this without the PM personally being involved. The allegation is that money goes to the prime minister, it does not go into the national treasury. And it then can go to enrich the prime minister personally, or the allegation is it goes to fund their next election campaign to keep them in power so the gravy train can continue.
2: There are certain laws against overt bribery, but, you know, the prime minister is allowed to appoint who he wants as his diplomatic corps. Whether or not it violates international law, to bribe somebody. Maybe it could be Foreign Corrupt Practices Act if it's done in U.S. dollars or it goes through U.S. bank accounts. But essentially, this isn't about necessarily something that's illegal. It's something that's really improper.
3: I mean, without that money, Ali would not have got his diplomatic passport.
2: And in fact, the passport was later delivered by the prime minister himself when he traveled to Malaysia.
1: In the spring of 2015, Roosevelt Scarret arrives in Kuala Lumpur
3: Ali received his diplomatic passport,
1: the very thing that he's been angling for,
3: through the hands of the prime minister personally when, his trip, when he came down to Kuala Lumpur.
2: That was the final, the final thing. And we have the pictures. It's they threw this huge party at this giant bungalow um, in the sort of diplomatic section of Kuala Lumpur, and it was a quite a fete.
3: The biggest. He had a big lavish party. And he announced,
1: he said, I just got my passport. The Prime
2: Minister just gave me my passport. You can see that there's a band there. It's a very fancy party.
1: I mean, imagine this beautiful white mansion on the edge of a lakeside, all lit up, you know, fabulously dressed guests wafting around, eating and drinking, and discussing matters of state. I mean, it sounded like, um, you know, a wonderfully high-flying, stylish event at which this man who is involved in criminal activity is basically trying to bend the ear of people to find out how he can avoid getting arrested by his own government.
2: We actually have a recording, and it's a conversation between Ali and an ambassador, a fellow ambassador, about how great it is to be a diplomat and all the different things that you can get. As a diplomat,
1: so the first voice you're going to hear is actually Ali Monfred himself.
0: To go to the uh,
3: diplomatic passport, which I have here with you, do we any any security for the diplomats? Of course. Means that no one can touch no. no, you. No, people, no, the, no, 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 the
0: police of Malaysia. moment you they present they... your credentials, yes, you are immune. No one can touch you. There is immunity for for especially the ambassadors, the head of missions. Now, they cannot arrest you. They cannot, for example, come to your house because uh, your house, our embassy, is property of the Commonwealth of the Dominic.
2: For some of these guys, it's not just the perks, the legal perks, it's the status. And one of the things that Minaj talks about is that as soon as Ali was handed that diplomatic passport, he became a different person overnight.
3: I couldn't call him Ali anymore. He said, no, nope. you're going to call me Excellency.
2: There was some stories that, you know, that Ali was, a, it was not the best neighbor. That he would, you know, jet ski around on this little tiny lake, which was not supposed to happen. That he bought like 1,500 ducks.
3: Ordered 1,500 ducks and just... And let them all out into the... chuck the ducks away. <laughs> into the lake. And you have got lots of dignitaries and lots of VVIPs staying there. And you've got thousands of birds caged up. Macau, parrots and things making a racket. complaints kept coming in, nonstop, And Ali just couldn't be bothered. He felt he was untouchable. He, he felt that no one could touch him. The moment he had that passport, it was even worse.
1: As well as the embassy, Monfred had an office in downtown Kuala Lumpur.
3: Every night, they would stay in the office till one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, where Ali would blast his music, and drugs were involved, and lots of drugs, and lots of late night parties.
1: Things things sour fairly fast. Minaj starts to have doubts about whether Ali really does have his own money or is he just sponging off Minaj? There are allegations that Ali is using drugs and the police turn up.
3: The police did a raid one evening around six, seven o'clock in the evening.
1: Uh, they come into the office... Ali's absolutely terrified. He runs into a back office, locks the door, and says, you can't arrest me, you can't arrest me, I'm a diplomat.
3: Produced and showed his diplomatic passport and said, I'm a diplomat, and that's when the police just walked away. When the police came down, and I asked the police, I said, what happened? You gotta keep in mind, drugs, it's a very serious offence. And the police said, oh, we couldn't go in. I said, why, you guys are police? He said, oh, it's an embassy. He's a diplomat, we can't get in,
2: we can't go in. This is out of our jurisdiction. And it worked. Eventually, the heat got really bad.
1: The Iranians are one step ahead of him. They actually get an Interpol warrant for his arrest.
2: Um, His luck in Malaysia runs out. He realizes he has to get out of there. So where does he go? He goes to Dominica.
1: He's actually at the airport. Malaysian police say, I'm sorry, you can't get on this flight to leave the country. We have to arrest you on a warrant from the Iranians. He's an international fugitive at this point. And Ali says, you can't. I'm a diplomat. Shows him the passport. They check it out and they let him go to Dominica, the country that's given him the passport. And that
2: goes okay for a while. He's living in a nice house. Um, But he doesn't really have any money at this point. He was always spending other people's money so he started borrowing money from people in Dominica. And after six months, he had worn out his welcome there.
1: And then he makes his second big mistake, which is he leaves Dominica and he goes to the Dominican Republic. And there's a lot of confusion. Dominica, the Dominican Republic are two completely separate places. He goes to the DR, the Dominican Republic. He no longer has any form of immunity because he has no diplomatic links to the DR.
2: Now Minaj is back in Malaysia realizing he's been fleeced by this guy. Ali had spent all this money on cars and jet skis and exotic pets, and bills kept coming back to Minaj.
1: And now Minaj notices his location on Facebook.
3: And that's when I informed the Iran- Iranian authorities that Ali is there go and pick him up. And then they verified, true enough.
1: And they scoop him up. And they ship him back via Cuba and Moscow. And they ship him back to Tehran.
3: And he will get justice. Finally, we will get.
1: So all of this is happening three, four years ago. And then in November 2019, an Iranian court in Tehran convicted Ali Reza Monfred. He's now starting a 20-year sentence for embezzlement and ordered to pay back $1.2 billion. Shall I say that again? $1.2 billion. It's been quite a scandal.
2: I mean, this is not the kind of person you want to be uh, representing you. Why does this Iranian guy from Malaysia need to be your ambassador? Why aren't there people in Dominica who can serve that vital role?
1: Dominicans kind of know the story, but they don't know the back story. So you would say to people, do you know about diplomatic passports? And they would say, yeah, yeah, there was this crazy Iranian guy and we made him our ambassador and nobody knows why and now he's been arrested and isn't it terrible?
2: This is so scandalous that Calypso star King Dice, he did a whole song about this. It's called MyDominicaTradeHouse.com. That's the title. I always
0: wanted to become Somebody important in my country.
1: When we were in Dominica for Carnival Week, which is just brilliant. And this song, My Dominica Tradehouse, is so popular that you still hear it every year.
3: I'm in too deep, but I can't quit. Yet my biggest
1: blunder. Yet my biggest blunder. From which I can recover. So you are walking around the streets and this song is pounding out everywhere you go. Oh,
0: you can find me on the web.
1: Lay your money down. Down say,
0: You're a king, king of corruption.
1: and it's very it's very very clever in as much as it's highly entertaining. It's an earworm. Once you've got it in your head, you can't shake it. But my goodness, the lyrics are
0: tough.
1: Dominica is one of the poorest of the Caribbean countries. It's been badly hit by several hurricanes. So people go, listen, how come we're selling our citizenship? We're apparently selling ambassadorships. Where's the money? How come I'm still living under a blue tarpaulin? How did these people become our ambassadors? Somebody pull back the curtain and show me what's gone on here. And so that's what we set out to do.
2: Okay, reporting, here.
1: Morning. Yep. A level from me on this one as well. Yes,
2: good. Going undercover away. is not something that we do lately. We'll we only go undercover when it's so, the only option to get the information we need. Talk about what we're doing here.
1: So the reason for coming to Manila, and specifically to McCarty, is there is a, a businessman here, a, a legitimate businessman. Um, he's British. And he has got a lot of very good contacts all over Asia. He is exactly the kind of person that has been given diplomatic passport by several Caribbean states.
2: And so the idea, if he's up for it, is to have him apply to become the ambassador either to the Philippines or the ambassador at large for one of these countries.
1: And he said, Yes, I'll do it. That's part three of Al Jazeera Investigates Diplomats for Sale.
2: This episode was produced by Amy Walters, sound mix by TBC Soho, the social media producer Natalia Aldana, the show's executive producer is Joe DeFrias. Al Jazeera's head of audio is Graylin Brashear.
0: I'm Deborah Davis,
2: and I'm Kevin Hurton.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Malika again. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast everywhere you listen. Just search for Al Jazeera Investigates. There's a new series coming later in the spring, so you'll want to be ready for that. In the meantime, The Take will be back on Monday with part three of this first series, Diplomats for Sale.